obviously this is the day before Shavuot or Pentecost on the Sunday church and the giving of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to start by telling you a story. When I was still in the Army, and this was back in the 80s, I knew an officer who was in the Navy, and he had been stationed in a NATO country. And while he was there, you know, NATO country, you have officers from France and Germany and all the NATO countries, and you get to know everybody. And there was some disaster somewhere in the world, I don't remember what it was, and the United States sent an aircraft carrier. And so this French officer was sort of mocking, big disaster, humanitarian disaster, and what does the United States do? It sends an aircraft carrier. I mean, how cowboy is that? So my friend said, well, an aircraft carrier has got two nuclear reactors, and it's possible to connect those nuclear reactors to the power grid on a city, and there's enough power there to power a city. An aircraft carrier can take salt water and generate 400,000 gallons a day of fresh water. An aircraft carrier can serve 18 to 20,000 meals a day. An aircraft carrier has a 150-bed hospital and 10 doctors on board. And furthermore, it can be augmented with medical pods. An aircraft carrier has a dental office with five dentists on board. An aircraft carrier's got helicopters which can ferry supplies back and forth into the city and it can also assist with search and rescue. An aircraft carrier has Marines on it and Marines can go ashore and they can help with search and rescue. They can also help the civil authorities restore order and suppress looting. An aircraft carrier can carry a battalion of CBs. CBs are the Navy equivalent of the Corps of Engineers construction battalions. They build stuff. So they can carry CBs, and the CBs can come ashore and help rebuild infrastructure. An aircraft carrier can take over the air traffic control for the whole area within 100 miles. So if you have an airport that has been knocked out, the aircraft carrier can take over air traffic control and get the airport going again. The aircraft carrier has command and control and communications, which means that it can communicate everywhere in the world And typically what the aircraft carrier does is bring the civil authorities on board and allows them to use its command and control facilities so they can begin coordinating relief efforts. An aircraft carrier can do this for 90 days without relief. The United States has 13 of these. How many does France have was the question. So the thing I want to talk about with an aircraft carrier is we didn't build aircraft carriers for disaster relief. We built aircraft carriers as weapons. The reason we built them is for war. The church is God's weapon in this world. We've got people who are doctors who can cure the sick. We've got people who can pray. We've got people who can feed the hungry. We've got people who can comfort. We've got all sorts of people just like the aircraft carrier does, but that's not why we exist. Why we exist is because we're a weapon, or at least we should be. And yeah, we get used for humanitarian reasons and so forth periodically, and that's perfectly good. And if you don't believe that the world is enemy territory and you weren't listening to John, I'll give you a couple of quotes. In John 14.30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. That's Yeshua speaking, and he's saying he's not the ruler of this world yet. There's another ruler. 
John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John 16, 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. God's church has been on station for 2,000 years now. Your average aircraft carrier can only do it for 90 days. Now, if we didn't have aircraft carrier work to do, Yeshua would have taken the place over after his resurrection and put an end to it. And the reason he left us there is because we're supposed to be sailing into hostile territory and we're supposed to be overcoming the enemy. Now, RMF is not an aircraft carrier. We're not even a frigate, okay? We're a small group. But what it's really important that you understand is we are, in fact, a weapon of war on God's side in the world. And our job is to stay on station and do the things that God tells us to do. Yeshua, by the way, said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Commandments indicates a commander. Yeshua is our commander. He's the one that sets the missions. He's the one that points us at what needs to be pointed at. He's the one who tells us what to do. And I will tell you, I couldn't be more proud of you folks. You guys have been on station and coming in here and worshiping and doing stuff all through this nonsense we've been going on while the rest of God's fleet has been safely in the harbor. He doesn't design us to be safely in the harbor. We've got to go back to the harbor periodically to get refitted and retooled and get new people and all that kind of stuff. But our job is at sea, doing what he told us to do. And for God's church to be pulled back into harbor in the face of this spirit of fear that's flooded the country is a mistake. And that's why I say I couldn't be prouder of you guys. There's a movie that I like a lot. It's called Master and Commander. Stars Russell Crowe, if you care. During the Napoleonic Wars, the master and commander is the commander of a British warship that is out doing British warship stuff away from everybody else. They won't see anybody else. They won't get commands or anything for a year because they're at sea. And so their job is to do what they were sent out to do independent of communications from England. During one of the uh, scenes, he's talking about his personal hero, who is Admiral Lord Nelson. And I don't know whether you all remember your British history, but Lord Nelson was the commander of the British fleet that defeated the Spanish and French Armada. He, by the way, was killed in that action. Somebody asked, Jack Aubrey is the character in the movie, he's a fictional character, what was his best advice to you? And Aubrey says, don't worry about maneuvers, Jack. Sail straight at them. So that's our job, is to sail straight at them. And I will tell you, we've been doing that. In addition to meeting here and doing our stuff, you guys, with some leadership, have just gotten a ballot amendment set up to ban abortion. That's going straight at them. I know all of you were involved in the petition to keep Colorado under the Electoral College. That's going straight at them. You understand what I'm saying? 
not everybody's out there swinging a sword. The aircraft carrier has got to have cooks, it's got to have doctors, it's got to have mechanics, it's got to have dentists, it's got to have radiomen, all those people, lots of people on that aircraft carrier in order to make sure that the Marines and the aircraft are able to do what they need to do. So not everybody on that aircraft carrier is swinging a saber, but they're all necessary. They're all needed. Now, what does all that have to do with the Holy Spirit? Everything. Everything. Because what's going on right now, we've read about the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the list of things that the Holy Spirit does. He's our advocate, or he's our helper. The Greek word is paraclete, which can mean counselor, advocate, helper, any number of things. But the point is, he's on our side. He's our teacher. He's the one that teaches us how to understand the written word of God. And he's the one that gives us inspiration. He's a witness. He's the one that watches what we're doing and is witnessing back up to God. This little frigate, or whatever it is, is doing what you tell it to do. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Convict who? The world, not you. People mess that up all the time. Oh, Holy Spirit, get after this believer over here. He's a reprobate, and you need to straighten him out. No, 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 no. That's not the Holy Spirit's job. That's your job. It says it convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Not us. He's not convicting us. He's on our side. He's convicting the world. He's a guide. Guide us into all truth. Guide us in the way we should go. He declares the things that are to come. So what he does is he gives us knowledge of what is going to happen. Gives us the ability to understand biblical prophecy. Gives us warnings of things going on. He glorifies the Son. In other words, he glorifies Yeshua, which we should be doing also. And then finally, he is your marker or your earnest or your claim check telling you that you have an inheritance in the world to come. That's in Ephesians 1. So the idea here is, as you're out there sailing around the blue in this little frigate we got, or a little gunboat or a little rowboat, whatever we are, we're not very big, but as you're out there doing it, you can be sure, because the Holy Spirit is telling you that if you should become a casualty, and that's one of the things that happens in a war, there are casualties, if you should become a casualty, be assured that you have an inheritance in the world to come. And that gives us confidence. So, Yeshua is the commander. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And most of the church looks at that as keep your skirts clean. Don't lie, cheat, steal, or cuss or spit or chew. They take it that way. That's not the way it's intended. Yeshua is saying, I am your commander. If you love me, do what I set you out to do. Now, part of that, of course, is keeping your skirts clean. Don't get me wrong. Furthermore, notice in that middle section of John, mostly in chapter 15, he talked about love. I will tell you, having been a commander, that, sorry, I get emotional. The feelings that a commander has for his troops cannot be described until you've done it. And so Yeshua is saying, I love you. You love me. I'm going to send you into a dangerous place. But understand, this is what we need to do. And I'm doing it because I love you and because we got stuff to do. 
So all of this stuff in the middle on love is not something gooey as much of the church looks at it. What this is is a commander talking to his troops and saying, I love you, I am with you, I am going to send you into a dangerous place, but understand, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so that you know that you have an inheritance in the world to come, and I am doing this not because I dislike you, but because I love you. Again, the love chapter, if you will, gets sort of misunderstood, but if you take it as a commander, a captain, if you will, talking to his troops, what he's saying is, we're all together, you and me. All right. The other thing is knowing the mind of Christ, and I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 2. This is one of my favorite passages. You've all heard this teaching before, but I want to read this passage, 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 6. This is Paul, obviously. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. Notice, the rulers of this age. Remember, Yeshua said, the ruler of this world is coming. This is the enemy commander. Not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And by the way, you need to pair this with Ephesians 3. And what the secret is, is the death and resurrection of Yeshua is going to result in the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. That's the secret. And if the rulers of this world had understood that ahead of time, they never would have crucified him because what they've done is they've made their problem much worse. Now they don't just have to deal with the Jews, they also have to deal with the church. That's what he's talking about there. Verse 10, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Notice we're talking Holy Spirit here. Talking what his job is for us. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Remember, the Holy Spirit's a teacher. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Does that sound familiar to you? And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. In other words, one of the functions of Satan is the accuser. And what Paul is saying, and Yeshua says too, is that if you are on God's ship, God's little boat, whatever it is, if you are one of those, then Yeshua will take care of you, and you need not worry about being accused by Satan. Verse 16, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. All right, now I want to unpack that what does it mean we have the mind of Christ? 
I'm going to split back into military speak. The ultimate goal of a really good military unit, whether it's a ship or a battalion or a company or a platoon or whatever, is that the commander so knows his troops that his troops understand how he thinks. And when they can't talk to him, which is very often, he can trust them to approach the situation from the commander's point of view as best they can. So the idea here, when it says we know the mind of Christ, what it's saying is, as we are out here in our little ship, and we don't have any communications, and we can't talk to anybody, like Jack Aubrey in his sailing ship somewhere around the world, months away from England, what he's got to do is he's got to take initiative and he's got to take action based on his understanding of what his original instructions were when he left. That's what knowing the mind of Christ is. You're in here, you're studying the Word of God, you're learning how Christ thinks, and you're now saying that when I'm faced with a situation where I need to take action, what would Yeshua do in this circumstance? That's what it means to know the mind of Christ. So, back to the Holy Spirit. Yeshua said in John 14:12, which we read today, that greater works than he did we will do. You've heard this before. It is not the case that we are greater than Yeshua. It is the case that we are more numerous than Yeshua. In other words, when Yeshua was here as a man on the earth and walking the earth, there were a limited number of demons he could cast out because his range was not very large. There were a limited number of people he could lay hands on. There were a limited number of things that he could do simply because of the limitations that he has as a man. Well, when he says, you will do greater works, there are lots more of us here. So as we go out, any one of you can go out and lay hands on the sick. Any one of you can rebuke the works of evil. Any one of you can cast out demons. So what he's saying is, all the stuff you saw me do, you are going to do more, greater. Not better, but greater in quantity. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's our job. So, Tom talked about the power. It is my understanding that the Holy Spirit is the power of God. And the way I would describe it in our analogy is the Holy Spirit is the wind in our sails. So as we're sailing into the world to do what it is that God called us to do, the Holy Spirit literally means divine wind. And he is the wind in our sails that propels us. He's also the ammunition in our magazine. We used to have a saying when I was in the army. You got a tank, right? If the tank runs out of ammunition, what you now have is a 51-ton portable radio. Without ammunition, the tank is, as I say, just a 51-ton portable radio. The Holy Spirit, being our power source, provides us with the ammunition that we direct using our voices and our hands. The power is His. He's the ammunition. We aren't. What we are are the guns, if you will, that use our voice and use our hands to direct that ammunition to His purposes. That's why He gave us dominion over the world. That's why he gave our words power. The world has been usurped, and it's been usurped by Satan. 
And our job as God's weapon, as a church, is to go out and take it back. And part of taking it back is rescuing the people who are under Satan's bond. And what is the primary thing that Satan uses to enforce his bond? Fear. The fear of death, specifically. As I say, much of God's church has retreated into harbor because of fear, specifically the fear of death. And so what God says to us, Yeshua said to us, is you've got the Holy Spirit. Yes, you may become a casualty, but be sure that you then have an inheritance in the world to come. And unfortunately, every military operation involves casualties. It's part of the deal. So what he's not promising is safety in this world. What he's promising you is that you have a purpose. You have a mission. You have things to do. And he has said, I will give you wind in your sails, and I will give you ammunition in your magazine. And as I said, as I look at you guys, I couldn't be more proud. You're doing what God said to do. Some of you are cooks, some of you are medics, some of you are mechanics. Not everybody has to swing a saber, but we're all necessary. So in the immortal words of Jack Aubrey, never mind maneuver, sail straight at him. <laughs>